know, cause and effect with like, I'm going to do this to improve this motion, very physics based. Um, the body is just a system of levers and pulleys. We're just trying to improve the effectiveness of how those levers and pulleys are working so that we can move with less pain. So. Welcome to the last episode in September where we're talking about pain. Um, and I am so excited. I really love this topic. But before we get started, Dr. Jess, what is in your glass this morning? So I'm almost done with my smoothie. I've really been uh, a little distracted, so I haven't finished it yet. So I've been making my own oat milk. I don't remember if I've told you about this. So it's like, it's really cool. So all you do is super oat milk. I said that wrong. Cashew milk. I also I like, like I thought you were milk. doing cashew milk. Um, <laughs> cashew milk. So did I tell you about the cashew milk? Yes. Yeah. So like, it's so good and I'm like loving it. So I put that in with my frozen fruit and microgreens and chia and flaxseed and protein powder. And like, this like holds me through to lunch, like no problem. Um, so anyway, I'm just excited about my cashew milk. <laughs> so Dr. Bobby, what's in your glass? I am just having some plain old water, but uh, staying hydrated. Nothing fancy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this week we are talking about dry needling. It's one of those um, things that people may have heard about, maybe haven't heard about, and it's it can have like a lot of misconceptions. And so this episode is to really kind of give the big picture of dry needling and then kind of get into some of the nitty gritty details of what can it help with and where can that be beneficial with the different types of injuries that can occur. So that being said, when we talk about this big picture of dry needling, we are going to be talking in terms of acute, subacute versus chronic phases of healing. So if you haven't listened to our episode earlier this month about pain, and we have an episode about inflammation. So these topics are going to be really helpful to hear that prior to this, because it'll make even more sense for what happens with injury and the differences that can happen between acute versus chronic injury very different physiologic presentations and how they are approached for treatment are going to be different. So just to give you that background, you'll feel like you're kind of caught up to speed a little bit better. But anyway, Dr. Bobby, what is dry needling? So dry needling, I think the most common question is acupuncture the same as dry needling. And the short answer is no. Um, there are differences. However, we use the same tools. So we will use acupuncture needles um, in dry needling. All over the world, um, if you're outside the US, uh, acupuncture will be used interchangeably um, with dry needling and what we think of as the Chinese medicine. Um, so that's, a, that's a tube, just so you all know what we're talking about. So the needle sits inside a tube and then this is an example of a dry needle or, you know, AKA acupuncture needle. Um, mm -hmm. So just so you have reference to what we're talking about, if you're listening, I just showed everybody on the camera uh, what the needle looks like. Yes. And so what acupuncture, what we think of as Eastern, uh, Eastern medicine, Chinese acupuncture, they're looking at meridians. So they're looking at certain points in the body that help different organs and different pains, things like that. With dry needling, 
we are looking at different structures. So we're looking at muscles, tendons, scars, bone, cartilage. We're looking at those structures, structures and looking at affecting them uh, directly in that area, whether it's causing regrowth or inflammation or um, decreasing muscle tension. Um, we're using, so short answer is they're very different. They're in theory, they're different using the same tools. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Dr. Jess. Yeah, I always use the example of, we could have a podiatrist using a scalpel to help with you know, something on the foot. And then we can have a neurosurgeon using a scalpel to start an, a neurosurgery. The scalpel is the same. The use of the scalpel is different. And so that's like the easiest way that I put difference between dry nailing and acupuncture. It's just a tool. That's all it is. It's how you use it. It can be very effective in acupuncture with Eastern approaches. A more Western approach is doing a more target tissue specific treatment of like, here's my palpable taut band, or here's my tendon, or here's my scar, like a much more like, um, you know, cause and effect with like, I'm going to do this to improve this motion, very physics based. Um, the body is just a system of levers and pulleys. We're just trying to improve the effectiveness of how those levers and pulleys are working so that we can move with less pain. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I find such good results with it. Um, it's a really, really, really cool tool and not something that you should, someone should be scared or nervous about um, because it really can be really, really helpful in management of pain and um helping pain without medicine and uh, all those just um, things that we want to try to stay away from if we have, if we can. Yeah. The, uh, I think a very direct way of thinking about dry needling versus something that we take like a, an analgesic, like an oral medication that we take like Tylenol. So if we take a Tylenol because my shoulder is hurting, you're going to absorb that through your GI system and it's going to get dispersed throughout your circulatory system. And eventually you will get some relief most likely to wherever that pain point is, but then you've also affected multiple other systems of your body and you've increased the stress on those systems because they're having to not only break down something that they wouldn't have had to break down otherwise. And you're having to process that um, through your organs that detoxify. So habitual and chronic use of some of these types of medications have been shown in the research to lead to stress on the organs. And so when we do treatment that's direct to the target tissue, we're taking out the secondary stressors. And so we're not saying medications are bad, we're just saying, if there's something that you can do to affect your target tissue in a positive manner and not have to put your other systems of the body in the play, then don't <laughs> because you're going to need medications at some point to address something so we just want to think long term how can we actually get our body to function at its optimal capacity for the longest duration of time and so that's how we can age well is because we didn't stress our organs in our younger years and throughout middle and older adulthood if we decrease that amount of habitual stress then you're going to most likely get better longevity so that's just like a general rule of thumb. So I know that's not specific to dry needling, but that's just kind of a, why do we do this kind of stuff? And why do we think it's so important to like get to the target tissue? It's because like, we really don't want you doing other stuff <laughs> that you don't need to do that is non-specific. So it was very neat when um, I was getting certified this a few years ago. Um, 
in the class, they showed us a video, which is really neat um, with Chinese. Um, and in China, if you can't afford to um, have like regular, uh, oh, why am I drawing blank? Regular medicine to put you to sleep during surgery. Oh yeah. Anesthesia. Like anesthesia. There you go. Regular anesthesia. If you can't afford that, then you can opt to have acupuncture. So they did, it was really neat. They did an open heart surgery. They videoed it on a lady using only uh, acupuncture needles to maintain her pain. And she was awake during the surgery and they asked her if she had pain and she said no. So it was, it was really, really neat. Now, I don't know if I want to take that road if I'm going to open heart surgery, but I think it just shows the, the strength and the benefits that it can have for pain. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Especially when we're talking about more of those energy meridians type, type mindset, um, uh, within side of our scope of practice as physical therapists, um, that part is definitely not within our scope. And so that's where we would like refer to acupuncturists mm -hmm. and that kind of treatment. And that's where like, you can actually have a good relationship between physical therapy and acupuncture using the same tool. It doesn't have to be something where we fight against each other. It can definitely be something that's complementary, um, which is, which is great. And that's just the respect in the different worlds that I think is important to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, so we value that big time. Um, now when we're talking about what can we do, right? So like, does, can you only treat the muscle with dry needling? No, you, there, you can affect so many structures. I do believe a lot of people and a lot of therapists, um, do focus on just muscles and trigger points. And I do, it's an important aspect of it. I think it's very beneficial, but if that's all we're looking at, I also think we're missing because the needles can help with bone. So, um, we did a, in my fellowship, we did a study on knee osteoarthritis where we took and we put needles all through the knee in certain places. And we took the needle to the bone and we kind of pecked on the bone. We call it periostal pecking. Um, periostal is kind of what surrounds the bone. And the, the process then causes a little bit of microtrauma, microinflammation at the bone, which increases blood to that area. And what they're finding is they believe a lot of knee arthritis has to do with decreased blood flow, um, causing the breakdown. And so if we can increase blood flow to that area, we can help with arthritis. Um, and it was a very interesting study, very successful um, for a lot of patients, um, had a lot of relief with it. So it's not just muscles, it's bones. Um, how about scars, uh, Dr. Joss? What can it do for scars and tendons? So we don't treat a scar that doesn't need treatment is what I'll say first. Uh, so sometimes people think, oh, because I can treat the scar with a needle, I should. If we have normal movement of that scar, we don't stick needles in it, simple. <laughs> like, however, if we get past that 12 week mark or that three month mark after a surgery or after some sort of insult where the skin has had to be sewn back together, and if we're getting like any sort of like thickening of that scar, maybe it's not moving well in a certain direction, things like that, we can actually get the needle. It's a very superficial technique, a very small needle, and we can actually kind of get needles through into that scar. And we disrupt that scar tissue just by placing the needle through it. And then we do a little twisting technique. And that twisting technique 
asks that those collagen fibers to spin around it. And then we, and then over time, as the needle sits, they start to relax around that needle. And that scar that was all bound up and tight and restricted can start to actually let go and loosen up. It's a very, very cool technique. It's not that painful by any means um, versus like some of the scar techniques where we're like pushing and pulling and trying to get that scar freed out can be a little bit more uncomfortable. And so it's, it's actually not that bad at all and is really effective when a scar is, is significantly bound down. Um, but there is a timeline on that just because of the surgical site, risk of infection, things like that. So we, we do wait for that 12 week mark if the scar's uh, not moving well. Um, and then so, on top of that, if you throw e-stim, it yeah. helps uh, even more, kind of magnifies the benefits of the needles. Big time. So that being said, um, I forgot about that. I have my unit right here. So when we talk about e-stim, because that's just something else that we can apply, and we can apply this, you know, with with all of our different techniques, depending on the tissue, and there's different settings that we use in the e-stim based on whatever it is we're trying to treat. Um, so when we talk about e-stim, that is what you think of, right? When you put those electrical panels on your arm and you turn the e-stim unit on and you feel the tingling sensation. So that is e-stim. So what we do is we take e-stim and this is what the unit looks like. So this is, you know, one of the units, there's different ones. This one just has a number of leads. So we can treat a lot of different areas at once. Dr. Bobby and I have the same unit. Um, so it's got these little alligator clips and so after we get the needle in, then we'll hook this little clip right to that needle. Now, the cool thing about that is that now that that current is, can create a pulsing sensation and that pulsing sensation will actually increase the blood flow to that area. So just driving the needle in, driving is the wrong word. That seems like Maybe I shouldn't say driving. When we insert the needle into the tissue, <laughs> I say that sometimes like, why did I say that? That sounds so like, um, <clears throat> we insert the needle and we have the needle go through the target tissue to the point where we want it to go. So now that needle is like in that muscle belly or in that tendon or in that scar or against the bone, right? Whatever our target tissue is. Then when we hook an e-stem to it, that pumping sensation is going to happen at the level of where we want it versus when we do an electrode on the skin, we're not going to necessarily be as specific to the target tissue. So adding dry needling with e-stem specifically increases blood flow where we want it to be increased. It's not a global treatment it's more specific. So we're just going to take that um, goal of what we're working on, and we're going to push our energy right to where we want that goal to impact whatever it is that we're trying to impact. So specificity is what we're going for with this, um, which is so cool. And well, and I think one of the coolest things about dry needling is the effects of, that it releases opioids. A lot of us are trying to get that pain relief and when you insert a needle, especially when you twist it, so when you wind it, you're releasing something called adenosine and you don't need to know what that is, but you release it and that really helps with pain control. So you're releasing opioids and non-opioids. Um, so you're getting different effects of pain relief um, mm -hmm. with just the insertion and winding of the needle and then the e-stem just magnifies all of that. Yeah, um, so we know that we can put the needle into a muscle. 
we can know we can um, put the needle in and have it come right up to the bone, tap around the bone a little bit, the periosteal layer. We know that we can use it to treat a restricted scar after 12 weeks. What about tendons? What about tendons. those? Yeah, so um, tendons. Needles are awesome to help with any type of tendonitis. So like a lot of times at the elbow, you'll have um, lateral epicondylitis. So like, right, pain, Starts right with there. gripping, tennis, riding. Oh, sometimes called tennis elbow. Um, and so you can take the needle, get down to that tendon and tap on it and tie it to basically what you're doing. A tendonitis is believed to be basically your, your body is healing. It creates an inflammation process. Something in the healing process goes wrong and it creates that kind of persistent pain, um, persistent inflammation in that area. So with the needle, you're kind of going in and you're trying to blow it up, reset it, bring in new blood fill. Kind of, you want to create almost an inflammation. But then unlike with muscle and bone, where you can do it as often as you want, with tendons, I find that I first do it when I find lack of progress. So at first, if you have some an issue with tendonitis, I'm going to attach attack the muscle, not the tendon. I'm going to first go at that muscle belly. And I'm going to work my way towards the tendon without trying to get at the tendon. But so she would uh, treat in the forearm, for example, before she treats the elbow, because when the muscle is tight here, and it's essentially that tightness can pull on the attachment. So if we take that tightness off, then that attachment point feels better. And so that alone might clear it up. And that's what we hope. But if it doesn't, then we'll go and we'll get the tendon. When I do a tendon, I do it once. I'll do it one time. And then I wait to see till when we plateau because you are creating an inflammation process. And that process is going to take a good 10 days to kind of go through its cycle. You don't want to interrupt that during that time. You want it to go through the whole cycle and then see if it starts healing on its own. If I hit that's the inflammatory phase of healing. So that, that is, nobody can speed that up. Like that is, that is how it works. I don't care how fit you are, how active you are. It's 10 days for everybody. Yeah. And then, you know, like down the road, if I hit a plateau again, we may attack it again. But I, the tendon is the one thing I don't hit often. Um, I try to do everything else first and then I'll attack the tendon. The only exception may be an Achilles tendon. Um, because I'm not actually putting the needles in the tendon at that point and putting it more into like surrounding fascia and stuff. Um, right. But especially at the elbow, it's one time and then hopefully that's it. And if I need to do it again, it's only because um, they've plateaued. Right, yeah. And it can be kind of sore. That one that one can be a little bit more symptomatic when you treat it. And so it's it's one of those things where, you know, when we create more inflammation in certain areas, especially areas that don't have a lot of space, like tendons, there's not a lot of space. The tendon, by the way, is what attaches the muscle to the bone. And so it's that short piece of tissue. And so um, it's not always like the most pleasant sensation <laughs> and it is creating some inflammation, which is what we need. Inflammation is not bad. That is a cellular process that our body uses to heal. Without inflammation, we would never heal from anything. We would have a cut, it would stay open and we get an infection and eventually die. Um, <laughs> like real answer. Um, so yeah. we need the inflammatory process to come in, bring in the cells that take out the uh, damaged cells. And then once that part of the process is done, 
then we get the next part of the process where we start bringing in the cells to repair and then the next part of the process where we remodel so we go from like gunk to we get all that damaged stuff out and then we start the remodeling and then we make it look normal again and that's what your body does so we're just helping along the way to let your body do what it's already going to do so which is pretty cool i'm like we're just like tapping into your physiology thanks um <laughs> helping you do it <laughs> so dr joss two areas and i want to know if it's similar um, that I found a lot of success in are like cervical pain and headaches along oh, yeah. with low back pain. Talk, can you talk a little bit about why? And I think that's a very common issue with a lot of people is headaches, neck pain, and low back pain. Why are those needles helping them? So first we got to talk about why do they have pain? You know, so neck pain and back pain, it's just chronic habitual postures that we're in on a day-to-day -day basis. So the head is like a bowling ball, literally. It weighs the same amount, eight to 10 pounds. So we're gonna take this eight to 10 pounds and we're actually like balancing it on this. That's hard. And, and you do that all of your waking hours because we are upright and we've got gravity pushing down on us all day. Now we take what we know from physics is that we've got fulcrums, okay? So if my mass, which is my head, is positioned over the center point, the load at the center point is not as much as if I take my mass and I move it forward. Now my load at the hinge point is exponentially more, not linear. So linear would be a one-to-one -one ratio. I move forward one degree, I have one pound of extra weight that I have to hold. No, 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 no. This is, I move forward one degree, I have a much higher increase. So each degree more forward my head goes, the more weight that's being loaded on my fulcrum. And so my fulcrum is at the base of my head. So if I go into this posture, okay, now I'm putting a ton of load at the middle point of my neck. I've got a shortening that's happening at my suboccipital line. And I've got this chronic load on all of these muscles coming into my upper traps, my levator, all of this up through here. And that's where people end up getting that like, you know, like we call it like a dowager's hump. So you get kind of stuck right in there. So when we're at our desks, we're driving, we're sitting looking at our phone, all of that stuff is putting this chronic load on these muscles all day long. The easiest way to think about that is if I took my hair and I put just enough stress like that and I held that, after like 30 seconds, I'm gonna be like, stop, my scalp hurts, right? But if I do that for eight hours, by the end of the day, my scalp is gonna be so sore from that chronic load that's what happens to our neck muscles. And so that's why, you know, I don't know how many people are like, oh, my neck is just bad. You know, I'm like, oh, like, like, did it misbehave? Like, it's bad. Oh, that's terrible. Did you talk to it nicely? Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, so, but for real, like, that's what happens. So not only doing the postural corrections makes sense, but now we've got these muscles that have just been in this fight or flight, like for so long that we've got to actually use the needles to help break up the trigger points, obviously, is one of the main things that happen. These trigger points form in the muscles. And so a trigger point is an, a tall palpable band in the muscle. So, you know, if we think about like the muscle fibers should be like, so these ones are like this, you feel the back of your neck and you're like, oh, 
yikes, that doesn't feel good. And sometimes if you press it, you're like, whoa, that gives me a headache. Okay, so that is a very classic cervicogenic trigger point related headache. So you press it here and it causes pain here. And then people are like, no, but that's a headache. That's different. I'm like, let's do it again. Oh, that caught. Okay. Are we seeing the cause and effect? <laughs> press pain, press pain. It's coming yeah. from here, right? And so the trigger point in the muscle, which is a taut palpable band in the muscle, is referring pain elsewhere. So the neck can feel very sore. You can get all sorts of soreness through here as well as headaches. And depending on where the trigger point is, depends on where the headache, you know, is located. So sometimes you'll get that headache that comes over the eye. Sometimes it'll kind of come up into the jaw area. It just kind of depends on the person and, and which muscles are most involved. And so same thing with backs, right? It's the same exact concept. It's just as we sit, typically we sit in what we call a posterior pelvic tilt. And so what that looks like, see if I can get far enough away here, a posterior pelvic tilt means that I rock my pelvis underneath me. So the curve that's in my spine, this curve is called your lordotic curve. So your back should curve inwards but when we tilt our pelvis back when we sit we reverse that curve and so as we do that that is not how we su are supposed to be loading our spine and so the muscles tendons ligaments discs like everything in that region is essentially in a chronic low load habitual stress state so it's typically not one thing or like you sit like this for 30 minutes and you're like, you have an acute injury. It doesn't work like that. This is chronic over time. And it leads to that pain that was like, well, I don't even know what happened. It just kind of started. Right. So it didn't hurt until it hurts. So mm -hmm. it was like your tissues could tolerate it for a period of time until you started becoming symptomatic. And then everything else starts becoming, you're less resilient to other things, more or less. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of like the big picture of like, why is neck pain and back pain so common? It's just habitual postures. Gravity's pushing down. It's just easier to not fight gravity all day. Real answer. Right? And then I was going to say, and I'm going to add to that, just because Jess and I work in different settings a little bit. So we see different patients. And I think you, that is very common. And I see a lot of patients in the working industry with injuries. So whether it be a car accident or um, lifting, I work with some of my patients um, they have to, they would do something called palletizing, which is they create the pellets, the stacks. So I think the easiest way is the pop that you see that comes in a pallet that they create them. They're expected to lift 400 objects in an hour. And these things are anywhere from 25, 30, 40, 50 pounds. It doesn't matter the weight. They have to do the same. So I see a lot of patients with injuries from that, but I think what's good is they both benefit postures, mm -hmm. benefit this but you know so it's a really it can help so such a wide variety of uh issues exactly and that's the acute versus the chronic mm -hmm. right so we have yes. that acute injury that we've loaded too much in a way that wasn't maybe good form or our body was so fatigued and broken down that we surpassed capacity so like any of that can happen with an acute injury versus a chronic injury is typically something that's just been building over time. And that's typically based on habits and patterns. So both, but both benefit is the key. Mm -hmm. So when we think about dry needling, first we have to think what are our target tissues? 
So we're going to look for palpable bands in the muscle. We're going to check and see how much of this could be tendinous, ligamentous, what's going on there. Like, do I have, sometimes it could be like too much motion somewhere that creates an instability. So that's something where we actually want to think about, we've got to protect that, not get too much more motion around an instability. (laughs) This is all part of the assessment. More is not always better when it comes to motion. Sometimes you have too much. Um, so from there, then we say, okay, cool. We found that trigger point and it reproduced a referral pain that is your symptom. That's like, boom, boom, boom. We hit the nail on the head. Like we know what's causing your pain. Like I, I hit that point in your back and you get that pain that radiates into your butt. Like, yeah, you've got trigger points or you hit that like muscle in your, in the back of your butt, your uh, glutes, mm-hmm. and it radiates into the back of your leg. It's like, wait, I thought this was my disc. It might not be, right? We cleared, like we might clear neurologic. Like dermatomes are fine, myotomes are fine. The neural tension is negative. We have free range of motion. We can compress it. Like none of it's lighting up the back of that leg. We touch the glute, bam, back of the leg pain. Sciatica, where is it? It might not be, right? It might be a trigger point in your glute. We have layers of glutes. So some of the deeper gluteal layers are big time will refer into the back of the hip, which is all, you know, could be based on acute SI joint sprains. It could be chronic habitual loading. Both can create the trigger point. So then we, As a, I have a, um, I could, I feel like I could talk about this forever all day. Yeah. Um, but I, we, uh, one of my professors, he does regenerative medicine down out in Kentucky and they have found because they use, um, ultrasound. And what they do is they take a needle down to the tissues in lower back. They're working with chronic, chronic low back pain where no physician, no one's been able to help them and they'll go in and they have found a huge percentage of people's pain is actually in the ligaments, um, very tiny ligaments in the back, which you can get with the needles, which is really neat. Um, it's not the disc. It's not, um, what we would most likely think it is. Yeah. Well, it's because it's, it's really easy to see something on imaging. Oh, it says degenerative disc disease. That must be what's causing my pain when, if it's not responding to like how we would think a degenerative disc would respond. It totally makes sense that the ligaments are also under habitual load. And so like you get that, like almost that chronic sprain type, you know, achiness, intolerance to static positions. Think of that ankle, right? When you get that ankle sprain and you don't want to turn that ankle in at all because it just, ooh, it kind of, it gets achy. And so the same thing happens in the back. So all of those ligaments that help to hold our spine together, when we're habitually loading on those ligaments, then they become less and less tolerant to that abnormal load. And then all of a sudden that achiness, that generalized, like it's not radiating, it's not, it's just it doesn't like static positions where you're not moving. It's like, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, big time. And the ultrasound part's so cool. Uh, mm-hmm. So being able to actually like image in there and then see exactly what you're doing. I think that's awesome. Yeah. So um, the biggest thing is what we're trying to tell you is that dry needling can be effective for a lot of different things. So it can be effective for acute versus chronic pain and subacute in the middle. The how we treat, it just kind of depends on um, what's indicated. It can be used to treat muscles, you know, tendons, ligaments, bone, as well as scar tissue. And so again, it just depends on 
if that's indicated or not. But the cool thing is, is that there's so many different applications and it's good to be educated to know what your options are and things that you can ask for. Um, if you're not getting the care that you need or if you have a current injury and don't quite know what might be helpful or not. Um, but know that typically dry needling alone isn't the answer. <laughs> so we can't not change habits, dry needle and get the changes that we want. So we have to have the cause, treat the cause and the symptoms, and then we get resolution. So a full plan of care is really what's going to get you to where you want to go. So everybody stay tuned. Next month, we've got October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we're going to be talking to some cool people. We're going to be talking about like, what do we need to know from a health perspective of how to recover after breast cancer? And we'll be hearing from a couple of different people that have stories to share. So love it. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the episode today. If you would like to learn more about how Two Gals can support you, then join our Two Gals Insiders membership, which can be found at www.2-gals.com. Also, don't forget, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook as well as Instagram. Okay, everybody. Bye. Enjoy your week.